You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. We're talking with Dr. Taysir Suleiman about the key elements for proper shade selection. Dr. Suleiman is the director of the Division of Operative Dentistry and Biomaterials at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He earned a clinical certificate in operative dentistry and also a PhD in biomaterials sciences. Dr. Suleiman's research interest is related to dental ceramics, composite resin, dental adhesives, color and dentistry, and dental cements. Taysir, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're happy to have somebody with your expertise to address some of these issues on color selection. So let's start right off. What are the key elements for proper shade selection? Phil, I'd like to start that off by, um, you know, one of the main challenges that clinicians face to this day is properly selecting the proper shade for a direct or indirect restoration. And so to, um, from a clinician's point of view that has kind of stepped over to the research um, world, I try to translate that information to a language that clinicians can understand. Um, the, one of the important things to understand is that there's a really a triangle of a relationship um, between um, and, and determining the shade selection process. We have the observer, which is um, going to determine the shade, and then we have um, the uh, the element of light and also the object that we're determining the shade of, which is the um, the tooth structure in this uh, in this case. So you know um, problems with uh, with color and dentistry were really highlighted as as far back as the 1930s, where Bruce Clark really said that we as clinicians are not educationally equipped to challenge a color process. Um, and I think this problem stands to this day today. Uh, we need to understand that it is a interaction between four important factors, and that is color, translucency, uh, fluorescence, uh, and opalescence. So all that, um, you know, you have to understand how the light interacts with the tooth structure in order for you to really understand how this process really, really works. Taking that into consideration, so when we talk about the human eye, and we talk about shade selection, it's very common and traditional for the doctor in the office to just, mm -hmm. you know, observe and make a shade selection based on the human eye. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, starting uh, off by the observer. So in determining the shade of, 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 a, uh, of a tooth structure, we have either a, a, a visual method and we have an instrumental method. Um, the visual method using the eye, um, the eye is very precise in terms of discriminating um, color. The only problem with the eye it is that it's hooked up to the brain. So really it is subjective and, and how the brain interprets that color is different from one individual to another. And so, you know, the eye, um, we have um, rods and cones. The, um, the rods uh, are responsible for sensitivity to light and cones are responsible for color. And the rods outnumber the cones about 16 to 1. So therefore, it makes the eye very sensitive to light. In other words, it's sensitive to value. Um, and so more sensitive than it is to color. And that's why we have always been taught and recommended to determine the value of a tooth um, before the hue and the chroma. And so one of the problems that we have with the um, uh, using our eyes is that it's influenced by many factors such as age, experience, um, fatigue, 
And so when we're scanning an image, we want to do a rapid scan. We don't want to stare at a certain color for a long period of time because the cones will get saturated by that color and therefore it will give you the wrong interpretation. So we've also been taught and also a common clinical practice is to have a neutral color beside you if you are determining a shape, for example, of a single central incisor. Um, you want to use a, um, uh, a neutral color, for example, gray, to look at in between shades if you're taking a little bit more time to determine the color. And so you can, that neutral color can kind of erase the memory of those cones, and therefore you can go back fresh and, to, um, and, to, um, and, and increase the accuracy. And so, you know, it's um, it, it, another clinical uh, tip also is, you know, um, to observe the, the color at a 45-degree angle um, you don't want any reflection or shadowing from the nose or the lips when it comes to determining the shade of the tooth structure because that can also um, put the color off. Um, and, you know, you want it at an arm, arm, arm length distance. You don't want to stand too far. You don't want to be too close. And so um, these are kind of the common things that, um, uh, that can help a clinician in terms of determining the shade. When it comes to instrumental method, now we've been introduced with these spectrophotometers, these handheld spectrophotometers. Give you an example of uh, the Vita Easy Shade, which has been around for quite some time right now. Um, these are, um, I would say, uh, auxiliary tools that can help you know determine the shade um, after you've tried with the visual. Um, relying on them 100%, I think, to, uh, in my opinion, to this point, is really, um, it's really not there yet. Um, they, um, it's, it's, it's advanced tremendously over the past few years. Um, and you can do right now, um, uh, especially with CAT-CAM scenarios, where you can um, determine the shade uh, of the tooth using the spectrophotometer, and it will tell you the block that you will uh, be needing in terms of uh, milling your indirect restoration. So that's been that's been some new additions with the with the fifth version of of the um, uh, the Vita Easy Shade, which is really the only handheld spectrophotometer we have. Um, they have limitations. I would be very careful. Um, about them uh, because of their inaccuracy in, in, in translucent um, scenarios. And, you know, we were determining the two-structure uh, shade here. So the translucency is a big part of that. Um, you can get a lot of um, false uh, uh, readings because of the translucency that we have in the two-structure. And also, um, it doesn't work very well on curved surfaces. And so, you know, I don't, uh, we're dealing with curved surfaces all the time. So there are limitations to them. However, they have really gained popularity. They have gained a lot of research interest in terms of um, increasing their accuracy. I know Vita has been very heavily involved in a lot of the research in terms of improving these handheld spectrophotometers. So hopefully that will provide some help for clinicians um, and so, you know, we're trying to um, uh, be a little bit more uh, objective than it is subjective. Yeah, that's great information. The tips uh, that you gave, the clinical tips are fantastic. You mentioned the gray. We used to have uh, a board in our office when we used to take pictures with our Nikon. Yes. And that was, what was that doing effectively? Similar to what you were so discussing, right? But it's a camera. Yes. So you, well, you know, whenever you're determining also the shade, and I was going to talk about um, the um, the component of the light here, you don't want reflection of any bright objects um, on the tooth structure or the light reflecting from that bright object will change the, um, 
the wavelength of the light hitting the tooth structure, and that will affect the accuracy or the, uh, the, uh, the determination of the shade for the tooth. So that's why always neutral colors are, are, um, are really helpful in this kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. Now, just uh, before I ask you the next question, so the Vita Easy Shade, would you um, say that it is really at this point an adjunct and not something you can solely depend on to capture the correct shade? Um, so I would consider it as an adjunct. You know, what I do in my practice is, first of all, we determine the shade. Uh, my assistant and I work together on this, um, determining the shade visually, following all the um, clinical recommendation or guidelines for doing so. And then we use the Vita Easy Shade to kind of see if we can reach to a, a consensus on what shade. And this is really talking about um, very difficult cases, like for example, matching a central incisor. Um, usually when you're doing larger cases um, where, where the sensitivity of, you know, uh, of, 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 a, of uh, having colors in the cervical middle incisor is less of an importance and more of a monochromatic color, then that way, you know, the Vita Easy Shade's accuracy and reliability really increases because what you want is, for example, an A1 or a B1. Um, and so it's really less of a problem. Um, but it's really those specific cases where I'm matching a single central incisor. I kind of use it to help me and see if there is an agreement with what we have determined using our eyes and using um, uh, the spectrophotometer. And it's fantastic for you to use in terms of communication to your laboratory technician because, again, now it has the ability of translating the color that you determined into the right block um, for, for milling. Um, so, um, and you can also um, send the information uh, from the spectrophotometer to your clinician or to your laboratory technician specifying each area uh, and what shade it determined. So a lot of improvements um, with the Vita Easy Shade over the last few years and I, I can see it heading in the right direction where it can be very, very useful for a clinician to have. So you covered this in, already in some of the uh, discussions that we had. What do you need to know about the tooth that helps us improve shade selection? So when determining the shade of the tooth, I think it's uh, something very important to realize is that, you know, uh, the time in determining the shade of the tooth structure. You know, the light interacts with enamel different than it does with dentin, and they have different refractive indexes. And some of this um, might get a little bit complicated, but I'll try to explain it. Um, and so, you know, when a patient first sits on the chair, it is always advised to determine the shade of a selection immediately before any procedure starts because we just finished a very nice study. We're looking into the effect of dehydration um, and, and, and the effect of that on the, um, on the, on the color of the tooth structure. And so when a, when a patient uh, comes in having, you know, saliva on the, on the tooth structure or covered in saliva, we can see that the light interacts with the saliva or refracts from the saliva differently than when the tooth is dry. Um, when the tooth is dry, what happens is the enamel prisms are filled with air instead of water. And therefore, the light um, refracts uh, within the tooth differently. It will increase the value. It will give you the wrong shade of the tooth structure. So therefore, we found within the, uh, the, the studies, uh, within the study that we did um, involving over 30 uh, participants, within the first minute, we realized that there was a significant change in color beyond a perceptible threshold. That means that most of the people will perceive that color difference within the first minute. Hmm. And one of the things that we also looked into is 
you know, how long does it take for a tooth to rehydrate? Because, you know, I have uh, been, um, uh, you know, in this mistake multiple times where I, you know, started the process or I placed the rubber dam and then I realized, oh, I didn't determine the shade. And therefore, so now how long do I need to wait um, for the shade uh, of the tooth to, to really get back to its normal um, um, values? And so we looked into it after 15 minutes we still saw that more than 88% of the uh, of the teeth did not return to its natural color. And so based on that, I think it would require almost up to 24 hours. It was just very difficult for us to follow up with the, with the, um, with the uh, participants after 24 hours to get them back in to see if the color has returned. But, you know, there have been a lot of um, experts talking about this, and it might take up to 24 hours to actually have the tooth return to its natural color. So, therefore, again, when you're dealing with a very sensitive or very um, aesthetic demanding case, you want to determine the shade immediately before any procedure or before placing the rubber dam. And, 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 and that was one of the things I really wanted to point out when it comes to the tooth perspective of, of the shade selection process. Oh, it's so interesting. I'm just curious to know how many dentists actually do take the shade prior to doing uh, something, <laughs> exactly. something that would dehydrate the tooth. Yeah. So what do we, just to wrap up this podcast episode, which has really been fascinating, Tezier, we, we really have enjoyed it. Uh, what do we need to understand okay. about light which what, that you haven't covered for proper shade selection? Yes. So here's the thing, very simply put. Whenever you're determining the shade and you're dealing with a highly aesthetic demanding case, you must have the proper light. And so when in, in your practice, um, it, to keep it very simple, when you're setting up your practice, the lights in your practice or in your office have to be color corrected. Just like temperature is measured in Celsius or Fahrenheit, the color also has a unit called Kelvin. And what you want is a number, and specifically it is 5,500 Kelvin. It means that the light is pure white light. If you go to a number that is lower than that, it will have a bluish hue to it. If you go to a number higher than that, it will have a reddish hue to it. You don't want influence of blue or red on your light source. You want pure white light. And we get that light, you know, um, at noon, you know, facing north. But how practical is that, taking your patient out on a bright, sunny day, at, uh, 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 you know, at, uh, at, uh, at noon and facing them to the north? That's a pure white light. But you can purchase lights um, from, um, you know, from Home Depot, from Lowe's. You can go to them and they will have the specification written on them. And what you want to look for are two important um, um, uh, things here. One of them is the color temperature has to be at 5,500 Kelvin, and there's something called called the color rendering index, CRI. You will see it on the specification. And what it is really, it's the ability of the light to extract the color from that object. That means when you have a high CRI, that means you have a full spectrum of the wavelengths of the light. Therefore, every color is going to be, is, go, is going to come out from the object. And so you want a CRI that is higher than 90. And so, so those are the very most important things to understand about the light because different light sources will give you different readings and different results. And that's what's called metamerism, right? And so um, uh, that's something very important to keep in mind. If you cannot control the purchasing of the light um, in your office, if you work in a big corporate office or you work in, uh, for me, for example, in a, in a student clinic, if we can't control that, 
um, there are handheld lights that you can purchase. Um, one of them that I've come across and, and, and actually use in my practice is um, Right Light 2. And I think that is a very nice um, um, uh, tool that you can have because it tells you, uh, uh, you know, the, it gives you light at 5,500 Kelvin and the color rendering index is at 95 plus and you just hold it right next to the two structure and that it can isolate the light or the interference of light from an outside source. And of course, you know, with, with photography also, you have to set the flashlights to manual. You always want those numbers, 5,500 Kelvin and color rendering index of above 90. That will give you pure white light and it won't influence the color or the hue it will have on the, the, um, on the tooth uh, when you're determining the shape. Mm, that's so interesting. What is the uh, manufacturer's name of that handheld light that you mentioned? Um, I believe it's uh, Avident, I'm going to say, um, Avident. Okay. If so, if, yes, right, like two. Um, it's, uh, yes, I was going to tell you, I mean, it's um, R-I-T-E and then L-I-T-E. Right light. They have a okay. second version out. Yeah, right light. It's, it's um, you know, we've purchased it in our student clinics, and so the students are aware that it is available, and a lot of the students use it, and it really just helps you be more precise in determining the shade of your tooth structure. And, of course, this is all shade determination. Another part of this whole process is the shade duplication, which I encourage clinicians to make phenomenal relationship with technicians that know what they're doing and understand the components that I just talked about and all these elements and how to apply them because that is as important. You can control everything here, but if you don't have the technician who's doing the exact same thing that you are and looking under the uh, duplicating the shade under the right light source, this all will not matter. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and these these types of protocol are just so important to doing a final restoration and with patient satisfaction and just having a better outcome, absolutely a predictable outcome. Yeah, fantastic. And Phil, one last thing. Yeah, one sure. last thing. Thank you. One last thing I wanted to add to this because it's very crucial, um, and I've I've seen this in, in uh, uh, you know in multiple um, uh, on multiple stages when lecturing to folks is that you know they ask me you know we use a Vita classical shade guide right ninety percent of dentists have that in their practice and they use it. What you have to realize is that the Vita classical shade guide was made for Vita porcelain, and so you know. Um, and, and if you're using that to determine the shade of other ceramic systems or other composites, you might not have the right match because an A2 from-vita classical might not be the same or actually is not the same as an A2 from Filtex Supreme Ultra composite, for example, or A2 from, um, uh, from Emax, for example. So you have to be very, very um, careful in doing that. And one of the things that we have set up in our practice and, and, the, and, and also in the student clinics is that when we have the Vita Classical, we use Filtex Supreme Ultra as our composite in the school here. And so they have a color wheel guide that they translate the color or the shade selection from the Vita Classical into what interprets or the shade that matches in, um, uh, in the Filtex Supreme Ultra system. So that is very, very important. And a lot, I know a lot of clinicians are using CAD CAM and, and you know, milling Emacs. And so you have to be aware. Ivoclar does have their own shade guide for Emacs. So if you're using the Vita Classical to determine the shade, I would be very careful because the A2 from Vita does not necessarily match with the A2, um, for example, from Ivoclar's um, uh, Emacs. And so, you know, and, and, and just to also update on the shade guide, there is right now Vita has their 3D linear guide. 
Um, it replaced their 3D master guide um, recently. It is very easy to use. It is not as complex as um, or complicated as their master guide. So uh, the 3D linear guide by Vita is their newest version for shade selection. And you select the value first, and then you follow by the chroma and hue. It is very, very easy to use. I encourage folks that are having trouble with using their shade guides to look up the 3D linear shade guide system by Vita, and I think it's going to be helpful for them in terms um, for determining the shade selection. Yeah, fantastic clinical information. Great clinical tips here, Taysir. Um, we, we really, really uh, appreciate that. If you want to reach Taysir via email, you can. Um, it's uh, Suleiman at unc.edu. Let me spell that for you. It's S-U-L-A-I-M-A-N. That's S-U-L-A-I-M-A-N at UNC, or University of North Carolina, dot edu. Again, Taysir, thank you so much, and we'll hope to have you on a podcast episode very soon. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.